Welcome to the Clinician Voice Podcast. I'm Robin Geiger, Senior VP of Clinician Advocacy for Ingenivis Health. Today, our guests join me from Veterans Health Affairs for this panel discussion. I have the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Kavitha Reddy, Ms. Jana Bomer, and Ms. Mary Gallagher-Seaman to hear about best practices from their Chief Wellbeing Officer role and what they're doing within VA to bring light to and address the very global topic of clinician burnout. And now, let's get into the talk. Dr. Kavitha Reddy is currently a board-certified emergency medicine physician at VA St. Louis Healthcare System in Missouri and a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. She currently serves as the Associate Director of Employee Whole Health within VHA's Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. She is also an Assistant Professor in Emergency Medicine at the Washington University School of Medicine. Ms. Jana Bomer is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and current employee wellness coordinator at the James A. Haley VA Health System, as well as a clinical champion for employee whole health in the VHA Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. She is co-lead of the Chief Wellbeing Officer Program, as well as co-lead of a VHA Reducing Employee Burnout of Optimizing Organizational Thriving, better known within VA as Reboot Task Force Implementation Team. And Ms. Mary Gallagher-Seaman is a registered nurse whole health consultant within the Veterans Health Administration's Employee Whole Health Team. Mary has been an RN for more than 30 years with VA since 2005 in progressive leadership roles and receiving several awards of accomplishments for her service in nursing. She maintains board certification in gerontological nursing and as a nurse executive. She currently serves as a co-lead of the Chief Wellbeing Officer CWO program. Now let's hear from our guests, Dr. Kavitha Reddy, Ms. Mary Gallagher-Seaman, and Ms. Jana Bomer. Welcome. Thank you for partnering with us on this inaugural podcast. I'm looking forward to some time spending some time with you and hearing about your internal programs and some shared best practices. So let's get into it and really focus on how we can inspire change. Mary, let's start with you. As a nurse, what are you seeing within VA as contributing factors for clinician burnout? Oh, thank you, Robin. Great question. Certainly when we speak to nurses and others, we really um, have heard often that they're concerned about the disconnection from their own kind of mission, aspiration, and purpose. The reason we went into healthcare, there's staffing shortages throughout healthcare, widely acknowledged. Um, people often feel not valued by the team that they're on or a disconnection from those um, that they really would like to be more involved with. Um, there's also the parts of practice inefficiency, systematic drivers of that feeling of disconnection and burnout. We can also often hear the, the challenges around not being in a culture of well-being to the extent that one would like. And then there's also the aspect of personal resiliency. Over time, people can really disconnect from their own self-care, their own opportunities to bolster that. Wow, great. So you've been doing, I know that you've been at the VA since 2005, and I really appreciate 
appreciate your perspective. I'm looking forward to just hearing more from you um, within our time. If we could now just pivot a little to Dr. Reddy. VA is the largest integrated healthcare system in the country. How would you describe the support system for clinician work-life balance and well-being within the VA system? Well, Robin, it's interesting to think about, right? You know, I'm a clinician myself uh, working in the emergency room, as you mentioned. And so I can say from my own personal experience and from the experience looking across the country that our clinicians are facing some incredible hurdles right now. Um, and so while we have amazing support from a well-being standpoint, we invest a lot in supporting the whole health and well-being of our employees. Um, it's clear that they don't always have the time to participate in those offerings. And so truly creating work-life integration becomes incredibly difficult. And you not only have to get innovative, but you have to start to look at the environment that clinicians work in and ask, ask how can we actually make the environment better so that you can think about your well-being, so that you can think about your self-care, so that now the approaches that we talk about um, are realistic. Um, and it requires thinking about this at a systems level. And I would say, coming out of the pandemic, the VA has really put a huge magnifying lens on the need for system and system structures, honestly, to support uh, clinician work-life well-being. And so very excited to say that the VA has made a huge commitment in reducing employee burnout and optimizing organizational thriving. We term that reboot um, and stood up under the leadership of our um, amazing, amazing central office leaders, Dr. Mark Upton, Dr. Maureen Marks, Jessica Bonjourney. I had to say their names out loud because it's incredible the kind of emphasis they have put on looking at well-being of all of our employees. And so through this reboot task force. We've actually been looking at what are the needs of clinicians, non-clinicians, all types of employees, and where can we start to create more support? And specifically what came out of there was the need to look at the specific drivers of clinician burnout. Um, and so we really looked at the industry. What is the industry doing? Um, how are they addressing these needs? Mm -hmm. And we came to learn over the years about uh, WellMD and Stanford's amazing work in um, cultivating chief well-being officers throughout the country. And as we learn more, realized this is a tactic we can deploy here. And so one of the major programs that VA is and has been launching is around chief well-being officers for clinicians. So we're really happy to talk more about that with you today. Um, but it's just one example of how VA is starting to look at this issue, not only from an individual need, but from a system need. Wow. It's, it sounds like you've definitely done a lot of work to make sure that you're supporting your clinicians on the front line. And I, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about that and best practices that can be shared with our listeners. Um, if we could now speak with you, Jana, are you seeing similar stress and burden uh, for clinicians across all specialties? Um, and how does that look within your program, your chief well-being officer program specifically on the support that you're providing? Sure. Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to be able to say that, um, you know, that burnout was only affecting a certain population of clinicians, but that's just something we're seeing it with physicians, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, our allied health professions. It's really across the board. 
Um, and so with our chief well-being officer program, the way we are really providing that support is through a team-based approach, looking at the unique needs of individual teams, taking notes that perhaps radiologists have different issues. They have different issues causing their burnout than your ICU nurses. And so it's not a one-stop shop. There's not a single answer for all clinicians, but really diving into both the personal issues, the professional issues, the systems issues for the various professions of clinicians. Wow. So yeah, it definitely takes more of approach looking at a global spectrum when you have so many different clinicians to factor into your work. Um, if you could, let's continue with, G with you, Jana. Um, how does this work as far as how do you talk to your healthcare workers about burnout from a systems level and an individual level? Sure. You know, when we think about burnout, there are multiple factors and we can't ignore the fact that taking care of ourselves does play a part in that. And one of the things that's really important to ask clinicians is how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you running on caffeine? Are you getting good meals in? That is all part of taking care of yourself. If you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating well, we become irritable. We, you know, we just can't function at our highest level. So having those conversations, those personal conversations is super important. But then working with those individual teams, we are using a model called Listen, Sort, and Power with our teams. It is a model endorsed by AMA. It came from the Mayo Clinic. And it's a way of helping teams to listen to each other, sort through the issues, and then empower them to make the changes that they can at the local level. Some things may be simple. Some things, though, may become, you may see that they're larger systems issues. And then when we do identify those larger systems issues, when we do see that there are themes across um, the various disciplines, across multiple teams, we're very fortunate to have the Reboot Task Force, where we can then elevate those consistent themes that are, whether it be practice inefficiencies or overall other systems issues, but able to then say, okay, this is beyond your control. This is out of your span, but how can we help get these things addressed at a higher level? So it's not an and or, it really is a both. It's both personal and systems. Oh, I love that. Within the ACT program that we have within Ingenivus Health, we're focusing on advocacy, career, and tools. And what you said really resonated with me because, you know, we're looking for um, almost like a 360 area of support for clinicians because there's not a one fit all, right? So we have to consider um, everyone who's involved and, and what is most meaningful to them. So we actually listen to the voice of our clinicians as well. And we started there with their voice and what they thought their specific needs was. We, we didn't try to guess. We wanted to know what the realistic voice was to go along with the research and the survey tools. So it's great to hear that, that we're doing that in that same aligned pattern and, and utilizing some of the, the tools that you're using that's working well for you. Mary, if we could go back to you for just a bit, um, being that it could be difficult to recruit clinicians, what are your thoughts about your, your program and how does that really work towards recruiting clinicians and retaining clinicians? 
Oh, thanks for asking, Robin. It, and I want to acknowledge it is difficult to recruit clinicians. And the reason that we've really put such an emphasis on that is kind of, you're going to hear my New York come out, the street cred part. It's very important that we have a CWO, a chief well-being officer, who is there, who's in the trenches, who understands part of their job is still to continue to provide clinical care because that frontline perspective, just as you were speaking about within your organization, listening to clinicians, bringing that back, having their voice, a shared governance structure, if you will, is a hugely important part of this piece of work. Um, we hear, we understand, we gather, we acknowledge, and we assist people to be empowered and equipped to really take on those issues, whether it's from a practice efficiency perspective, from Jana's listen, sort, empower piece, um, or it's getting input into what they need to create that culture of well-being, as well as where they are with their personal resiliency. This is a cultural change on many levels, right? Some of the factors that are so challenging are inbred in our training. We have words for this in nursing, you know, not taking the time to meet our basic biologic needs is kind of a badge of honor among many of us nurses who are well-seasoned, shall I say, like myself. It, we just came up with that and, understanding that you didn't want to take time to do that. It was more important to take care of others. That's a challenge in many times. Personal resiliency, as Jenna said, plays into this. There's right. also the other parts of it, but kind of acknowledging that a clinician listens best to other clinicians. You know, physicians listen to physicians in a different way, not less than, not better than, but in a different way than you'd listen to someone else. I can certainly say the same for nurses and others. And we found that voice, that role to role voice to be of great value. We followed the evidence on that and much of what's been written in literature. I, I like that answer in that you, you focused on not just clinicians, but the fact that there's an identifying peer-to-peer -peer support that's really solid and needed. Um, you're right. Clinicians want to hear from other clinicians who've lived that experience. So it's important that, you know, that they have that perspective so that they can truly empathize. Um, it sounds like you definitely studied that role of the, the CWO and what you wanted that role to encompass. Um, Dr. Reddy, if I could ask you, um, can you describe some of the tactics and interventions that the CWO or chief well-being officer could do? What are they doing that's positively impacting clinical burnout and professional fulfillment? Yeah, so first, I think it's important, again, to frame how we're approaching this work. We're learning from people who have been doing this work before us, around us, um, really studying the literature as we came into implementing this role. So one thing that's really, I think, amazing about DA right now is that we are launching a wide-scale effort to have CWOs hired at multiple facilities. So you mentioned we're one of the largest integrated healthcare systems. We have 139 medical centers across the nation. And we will be hiring chief well-being officers at uh, 18 facilities across the country. And we already are hearing of at least 10 facilities that want to join in on this effort. So almost 30 chief well-being officers coming on at different medical facilities by the end of FY23, which is in September. That in and of itself, I think, is, a, is really incredible. And I think, um, again, shows VA's commitment to employee well-being. The second thing I want to say is 
we are influenced by the framework from Stanford for professional fulfillment as Mary described in the very beginning. And using that, we actually did quite a bit of listening and focus groups and themed out what were the issues for clinicians across the country. And so our tactics are really organized under thinking about system issues, thinking about recruitment and retention, um, mental health and well-being, and leadership culture. That guides our thinking even further. So some of the examples of what chief well-being officers can do and we hope will be able to do locally is to look at the inefficiencies in practice, really start to get to know the different service lines and departments and create champions within those departments, understand what their pebbles are, so to speak, right? And as Jana said, where there are issues across the facility, raise those up to the leadership for action. This is all about where is your sphere of control and influence and the chief well-being officer can raise that level of control and influence. That's our hope. In addition to looking at what those inefficiencies might be in local practices, they can really help with what are the trainings that are happening? Are they needed? Are they duplications? Are they really getting to quality, safety, value, and uh, improving our outcomes? Or can they be removed? Um, we should be looking at meeting management. Do we need this meeting? Do we have an agenda? Do we know what the outcome is? Is it strategic? Or could we have sent a few emails and gotten to the bottom of this? Um, looking at documentation burden. A lot of times how we document the templates that we use, um, looking at best practices from team to team about who's able to actually shut the computer off at an efficient time. Um, how can we compare those practices and documentation? Um, that is the kind of work we hope that the chief well-being officer tactically can do. But I, I really would be remiss if I didn't say, ultimately, we all know focusing on leadership is the critical piece of this. We've known that for a long time in VA, and I'm sure every healthcare organization out there listening knows that. People leave organizations when their leaders don't support them and don't create safety. Um, what we hope the chief well-being officer can do is really share the amazing resources and tools we have to develop leaders through mentoring, through coaching, through self-assessments, um, through ongoing support from their facilities, and tie that together with the commitment to be a high reliability organization. Um, and in addition to that, really connect clinicians back to why we wanna do this work. We love taking care of patients. That's, that's what we wanna do. And we, we want to have a whole health, whole person approach to caring for people. And we hope the CWO can really elevate that amongst leadership locally, that our clinicians want to do this work, help us get rid of what's getting in the way of that. And hopefully we start to see that impact over time. Right, so making sure, it feels like there's a huge focus on self-care within this program, which you know I, I've noticed in several of our, our different talks with clinicians, that's always the main focus of, of lack of inattention or lack of attention is, is on self, right? As a clinician, you're caring for others, but they don't think to care for themselves. Or, you know, when we when we go into those deep dives or those deep conversations, they forget to to 
share the I in those conversations. What's what's going on with you? What's going on with myself? And, and I'm guilty of that also as a clinician. So it's good to know that there's a program out there that's focused on that. Um, just from what you were saying, it sounds like uh, you're implementing this program within several of your, your health systems. What does that structure look like? This is just, you know, honestly, to have that type of logistical frame of this of this type of role? Do they have a supporting team or do they have different committees or how does that look to expand their reach and make sure that they're able to connect with it, with everyone? Yeah, great question. So it's complicated when you're in such a complex organization. You know, I'll offer a few comments and then obviously Mary and Jana would love to have you chime in. Nationally, we have a, a very robust uh, implementation team. And our concern is not only to help sites hire this role, but develop a community for them. We're all learning and growing together in this work. And what we find is when we can have a community that can support us when times are tough and support sharing best practices when things are going well, we have a much greater chance of collective success. So we are designing trainings and workshops, community of support, and we're formally going to be evaluating this with our research partners. We're so lucky to have such an amazing research force, honestly, in VA. Um, and they will be looking at some of the qualitative things that we can look at early. Is the facility ready to hire this role? Are they integrating this role? What does the role look like once it gets on site? Who is it reporting to? And who are they in, you know, talking with? Um, but then at a local level, we're really helping them think about strategic planning and envisioning so that they can set themselves up for success and how they're developing their coalition, creating that sense of urgency, using change management skills. Um, and so Mary and Jan are really in the weeds of the, as this is all being developed. So I'd love to turn it over to them for their thoughts as well. Oh, thanks, Kavitha. Yeah. I the CWO as that strategist, leader, and advocate really does need a tremendous amount of support. One of the most positive, wonderful things about working in VA is that we're not the only people looking at this. The, we have wonderful partners in this work at the program office as well as at the local level. We've um, collaborated extensively with the National Center for Organizational Development, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion office, um, the employee experience office, which comes out of the veteran experience office and others, which has really helped us to kind of leverage that and intensify the efforts. We want the CWOs to be able to do that as well at the local level, at the facility level. The program that we are um, co-leading offers that education and training of the CWOs, community developing that support system for the CWOs as they expand their role and grow into that. We, um, we offer collaboration on the national level, which was just mentioned, and the evaluation that um, Kavitha just spoke about as well. Yeah, and I would also like to chime in that when you really start to think about the CWO being one individual at a facility that some of our VHA facilities are huge. They may have 6,000 employees. Now, granted, not all of those are clinicians, but um, a, a good majority are. One person can't do everything. So as this role grows, we very much envision an ambassador or director um, type structure where the various clinician departments have 
either, you know, whatever you want to call it, an ambassador, a director, a well-being director, but someone who is able to assist them, someone who really knows the needs of that department, someone who is able to work directly with those individuals, helping to really keep that CWO at the strategic level um, versus getting down into the work units. So, you know, I think it's that collaboration, it's the partnership um, that goes a long way. Wow. So, yeah, you... I I can't imagine the the expansion of this this program and how many people had to be involved. It's it's really awesome to hear that you've strategically thought not just at the program level or or your national level, but also locally within these health systems, and that you know you have a program that or one of your programs that faces that's facing burnout that's really starting to take off and roll out really excited about that if you could tell or share a little bit with our our listeners um tell me a little bit more about how you measure success of the burnout mitigation of your efforts and your work there how is success measured and is that rolled up nationally or is this there a local initiative or or work that help support the national program offices? How does this work for you? So this is a really great question. And I think plagues any person who tries to do work within the employee facing uh, arena. Um, Same questions we had to think about as we were thinking about individual employee whole health interventions. One tactic cannot be a solution for an entire system issue. Um, And we have learned from the advice of others on this as well. To say that we can solve burnout um, would be setting ourselves up for failure, right? So we know burnout is a, a, a summation of many different influences over time. We've been dealing with burnout for decades in the healthcare system. And yeah. I would even posit, right, that our existing healthcare delivery model makes it very hard to deliver care the way we want. Absolutely. Um, so the idea that we can say we're going to drop burnout or solve burnout, we, we quickly said to ourselves, we can't, we can't make that our measure of success. Um, but what would it be then? And so we spent a lot of time thinking about this. We sought the counsel of WellMD as well. We sought the counsel of various chief well-being officers out in private sector. And where we landed is to really look at the processes that this chief well-being officer can get involved in. How many teams are they able to engage with? Are they able to get high visibility with their executive leadership team? Are they able to get into those medical executive meetings that, you know, uh, they can think about informing policy and procedure and processes? Are they able to bring leadership trainings uh, to people that need it? We will look at the levels of engagement of stress. We will look at the levels of burnout, not saying that we will be able to change that. Um, within one year or two years, we recognize this is really the long game. And so what we're trying to see is, can this role be accepted, integrated, and influential in the system? And that in the short term would be very successful when, like Jana said, you have thousands of employees. Can this person actually be that advocate that Mary described? Um, So I would say that's where our indicators are at right now. Um, and then, of course, as we get further in this work, we'd like to tactically look at what is making an impact on some of those all-employee surveys and burnout measures. 
Thank you for that answer. Just, yeah, looking at everything that other health systems are doing, you know, we have healthcare executives out there that are struggling to find answers and initiatives within their own health systems. You know, are there additional thoughts or unique wins that you would like to share specifically to our listeners? I'm happy to take, um, to start that question. Thank the you, amount of collaboration that we've received in doing this work has really, um, I would say warmed my heart, but that's not really where we're going with this. It's provided such depth of what others are doing. People are willing to share and talk about it. I think the more that we're able to learn from others and share our own journey is really important. The other piece is that burnout has been, as Kavitha had mentioned earlier, um, it's been around for quite a while. This isn't going to be solved quickly or overnight. We're looking at this as a journey to change culture in many respects. So really giving it the space and time that it needs as executives understanding that at one year, your return may be small. At three years, it will be larger. And at five years, it's going to be much larger. So allowing it the time and space to develop. The other part is that one thing that we learned during a pilot early on was that a chief well-being officer really is a full-time role. We envision it as someone who answers directly to executive leadership, has that ability to communicate, is at the table for all decisions which would impact clinician well-being, which in healthcare is almost everything, but really making sure that they have that seat and voice at the table. And that they're using, as Jenna mentioned, whatever structure that they've developed, whether it's a counselor structure, or director's kind of structure, to look at bringing others in in a shared governance approach so that the voices are heard. It's not just about the numbers. It's really hearing the stories, the successes, and the challenges that exist. And I would just add on to that, all of that. What Mary said is it's not one thing. If it was one thing that was going to solve burnout, everyone would have already done it. Um, it's multiple tactics. It's multiple things. It's looking at the culture. It's looking at what are the inefficiencies. It's looking at what are we doing to take care of ourselves. You know, the dietitian in me always uses the reference. How do you how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. So it's it's over time. We continue to work on this. We continue to change this culture. Now, add on to that. So you're you know, in your question, you kind of asked about unique wins. I think in the VA, what what is unique and has kept me so excited about this work is, again, looking at how we can actually transform the healthcare system to be one that we all want to deliver care in. And I think something for healthcare executives to think about is what does that care model look like for you? In VA, we are really looking at a whole health care model that's team-based. Um, and so your providers, your clinicians have a lot of resources to tap into. Um, health coaches, uh, instructors, providers, educators, a lot of people that can help to care for that individual and ease some of the burden that traditionally has been on a single person's shoulder. Um, the other piece of what can be exciting about that is how do you build the structure so that what you are incentivizing is the quality of care and the quality of the outcome for the patient? And once you start building structures around that, that can actually create ripples for the burnout of the clinicians delivering the services. So the challenge, I guess I'm saying, is to think big. Um, and we are doing that thinking big, I think, in BA with the whole health system, the whole health approach to care. And the second thing I'll add to that is invest in your leaders. Um, don't assume that those frontline supervisors and managers 
uh, know what to do from a leadership standpoint. I think many of us can say we were put into that role because we were hard workers um, and you were managing. But leadership is different, right? There, it's different to really hold the space for psychological safety so people can tell you this isn't efficient. Um, mental health-wise, I need help. Um, I'm struggling or I need more support. Um, when you create that environment, we see teams thriving. We really do because they ask for resources. They're upfront and proactive. They're engaged. Um, so spend the time and the energy to invest in every level of leadership. Um, and I think, I, I think we've seen success where, where sites have done that. I think uh, that's a wonderful response. And I, I think what we've noticed historically is just because we're leaders, it doesn't mean that we have all the answers. And then being able to have that re-education, those reminders is really important. Not just because you get desensitized. I don't think it's that. I think it's we're, we're multitasking always. So being reminded to focus on creating that psychological safety. I agree. It's so important. Um, we have within Genovis and our company brands, dedicated lots of resources, but also we have um, a dedicated team in HR to, to training, um, change management. We're focused on climate. We're, we're making sure that we're focused on um, all of our brands and all of the systems and how we work together. Collaboration is huge. And what I'm hearing is that you co collaborate often and you're sharing not only resources, but challenges. And that's really huge. So maybe speaking about that psychological safety can go into this next question that I have for you. And it's how can we move forward to strengthen the healthcare system and retain clinicians? And I know that's a big question, but I'm wondering what your thoughts on strengthening the entire health healthcare system. I mean, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the team knows I'll probably jump in excitedly, but the National Academies of Medicine just released a phenomenal report on achieving whole health. Um, and I think for anybody out there listening, it is worth the read, um, especially the summary part of it, uh, because while, it's, while it is very proactive and bold, as we're saying, um, this is really telling us how we have to change the healthcare system. And I think all three of us as clinicians, you know, I'll let Mary and Janet you know, share their thoughts. But I want to work in a system where I can spend the time with the patient knowing what matters most to them and making sure that I'm delivering really safe care that's current, that's evidence-based, um, and really tapping into all the different approaches that would support them living a high quality of life. And if I could work in a system like that, I would work for a very long time. Fortunately, what I see are all of my colleagues becoming more burned out in the current model which tends to be fragmented, tends to have a lot of administrative burdens so that we can meet the need of quantity of care um, and not so much quality. And I realize there's tensions there between making sure everybody has access to high quality care um, and we still take care of our people. But what will strengthen the healthcare system is building it so that we all actually want to continue delivering this care to people and, and continue to love delivering that care. Um, and so I really, I really think we have to all to collectively think about what that system looks like. And that's what this report talks about. It's team-based, it's proactive, 
It addresses the social and structural determinants of health, and it thinks about all the components of health and well-being that really impact our life. So I will stop there and let Mary and Jenna share their thoughts too. Thanks, Kavitha. Hard to follow that. And I'll just say ditto. And for me, um, it's it's a personal journey as well. The Surgeon General's report really talked about the well-being of healthcare professionals or lack thereof as a public health advisory issue. So I take that very personally. I want to make sure that I'm entering into a healthcare system that's, to paraphrase Walter Cronkite, healthy, systematic, and caring. So I think that it's bigger than what we're looking at. We are at the core of the healthcare system. We're at the front line doing this work, and we want to support those people using a shared governance structure so that their voices can be heard. The conduit, certainly, of a chief well-being officer and many other efforts, but making sure that they're they're part of the decision making. Thank you, Mary. And Jenna, we really appreciate your time today. Um, I know you you've spoke on this um, earlier. You talked about whole health and you shared some practices with the CWO. My question for you is specifically about your role as a nutritionist and dietitian. You know, how does that factor into everything that we talked about today? Sure. You know, it goes back to that taking care of ourselves and the fact that so many of the things that happen to us are related to what we're eating. When you think about headaches, pain, bad moods, that all comes back to our food. And so food, you know, when we go back to the old saying, food is medicine, it, it truly is accurate. If we are fueling ourselves with healthy, nutritious items, we're going to be in a much better place than if we are filling ourselves up with all kinds of sugar. The impact of what we eat on the way our body and our mind is affected is astounding. We could talk for hours and hours on all of that, but really and truly taking care of ourselves. And you know, when we think about healthcare systems, does the healthcare system have healthy options for their employees? If the only answer is a vending machine and you have a physician who's on call and is running to the vending machine and getting a Coca-Cola and a Snickers, we are not taking care of our employees. We need to have options available to them that are easy to access and also healthy. So it impacts us on so many levels. And I think as healthcare system systems, sometimes we need to think about those little things. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a really big, huge thing, but is a lounge stocked with good items? Are there apples and bananas everywhere or are there Snickers bars? Wow. Impactful statements. And you're certainly right. Um, it's, it's everything that we've talked about today. It's, it's just been inspiring and my pleasure and your focus on whole health and shared best practices is certainly appreciated today. Um, it's been um, wonderful talking to you, connecting with you, Dr. Reddy, Mary, Jana, thank you for your service and support of veterans and all you do for whole health and prove well-being. I appreciate you meeting with me today. It's been great. Thank, thank you, Robin. Robin. Thank you. Thank Our you. Pleasure. Until next time. Thank you.